so we're going to be studying for the next year the books of First and Second Corinthians. And the reason that I chose this, it's, it's probably the closest societally to where our culture is today. Corinth was corrupt in every conceivable way. Uh, they are idol, idol worshipers. They are greedy. Uh, they are selfish. They are sexually perverted in every sense of the word. We'll get through all of this as we work our way through. So it's going to confront our culture uh, head on. Typically, when Paul would go somewhere, he'd plant a church and he might stay a month. He might stay a couple of weeks. Uh, sometimes he'd send somebody else to plant the church. Paul stays 18 months in Corinth. And he plants this church in 51. So uh, we're just looking at a few years after Jesus died. It's at the very end of the Greek peninsula. But it is the Las Vegas and New York City of its day. It's the shipping harbor, it's the banking harbor, it is the party harbor. Everything happens at Corinth. It is corrupt to all degrees. And Paul goes there and invests so much time, I think, because he knew that if he could win Corinth, that he would be able to win the rest of the Greek world. And so he invests heavily. But <clears throat> within two years, he writes 1 Corinthians, then he writes 2 Corinthians right behind it. And basically, these two books, just to be honest with you, this church doesn't do anything right. They, they don't do anything right. Sexuality is wrong. Marriage is wrong. Uh, they, they, they don't eat right. Uh, they don't handle idols right. The, everything they do is wrong. They don't even know how to love. So he has to write a chapter on how to love because everything is so perverted, which makes this introduction so weird because he calls them saints and holy ones, even though they're a bit messed up. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but when people come to Jesus, they come with a lot of baggage. They come with a lot of junk, and it takes time. Now notice, however, Paul doesn't say, hey, I, you have junk, so we're going to just accept that in the church. It's okay. You can have that. You can be sexually active in this. You can do this. You No, he says, we're glad you've become a Christian. Now here's the changes that you have to make. Very big difference. In fact, culturally, this is the, the statement where they're going to, we're going to look at about compromise. You answer when God calls and never compromise because when we compromise, here's what, here's what happens. You're, you compromise your loyalty to God so that you can fit in with man. And you see so many Christians, so many churches, so many denominations that fall into this category where, well, we have to accept this and be okay with this and be all right with that. No, the church was never meant to fit in. I don't know if you know this, but when they threw us to the lions in the Colosseum in Rome, it wasn't because we were adapting to the Roman culture. It's because we were speaking out against the Roman culture. Because the Christians were saying, no, it's not right to have this perverted sex. It's not okay to be cheating people. It's not okay, whatever the topic was, not okay to worship Caesar. And so all of this comes together as we start 1 Corinthians. But do you want the bad joke first? I was treated very poorly last night. Very poorly. And I, I barely got through it to get back up here today. But... So it's weird. This first part's true, so stick with me. Um, it's weird how things stick out in your memory from childhood. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, we've all got, it's just, just weird. I'm 60 years old, and 
I remember at eight years old, mom took me to buy a dictionary. Now, of all things that I might remember, but I was a reader and maybe I couldn't spell. I don't know. But back then, they didn't have Office Depot and Staples and all that. You went to the local office supply store. Well, I'd never been in one of those. And so there's this memory of me going to Wilcox office supply store and mom buying me a dictionary. And I had that dictionary, I bet, for 30 years before, you know, technology, and I no longer need dictionaries. Well, I just memorized all the words, made it easier. But, um, but, uh, but my dog got into the dictionary and ate the whole middle of the dictionary. And I'm telling you, things went from bad to worse. All right. It actually fits because that is the story of this Corinthian church. Because every chapter you read, you're like, okay, they can't possibly mess this up. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Literally, there is not. Because as non-Christians, as Paul wins them to Christ, their lives are full of all of the world. What do you mean I can't do this? What do you mean this is not right? What do you mean this? Because they're Greeks. They're idol worshipers. They're pagans. To become a Christian, they're going through a transition. Here's what it looks like. And we'll cover a lot of archaeology in this series because there's all kinds of stuff that Paul talks about that's written in stone still in, in Corinth. This is the aerial view of what the site looks like today. Uh, we will see the judgment seat that Paul talks about. We will see people's names. We'll see all kinds of stuff. Uh, this is the temple of Zeus. This is who they worship. Zeus is the god of thunder. The God of lightning, the God of the sky. Uh, this is the God that they worship. If you and I were standing there, we would be about here to give you an idea of how massive this temple was. This is just the ruins uh, that are left. But they're, they're totally pagan worshipers. And into this, Paul brings the story of Jesus and people accept Christ. And with all their baggage, they begin to grow in their faith. If you'll stand, Paul writes these opening words. It says, Paul, who's called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, obviously a brother from Corinth, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. Together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from our God and Father and the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. You can be seated. So with all that's wrong with these people, he calls them holy people. He acknowledges the fact that they're saved. He acknowledges the fact that Jesus is their Lord. But everything is wrong. They've got everything wrong. Well, we're going to work on that. We're not going to accept it. We're going to work on it. We're going to make those changes. And that's why he writes this letter. But the whole point he makes here is that they're called. Now, we talked about this a lot at Christmas. God does not randomly call. You're saved, you're not. You're saved, you're not. Just not the, not, not true. In Ephesians 1, Romans 1, Romans 8, the calling is everyone who accepts Jesus Christ will be saved. 
And this is a perfect example of that. None of these people you'd look at and go, oh yeah, these are the people I'd want to have lunch with. No, you probably wouldn't. Because all of these people were majorly messed up and in process. But yet Paul addresses them as set apart for the Lord. And he tells them, first of all, that they're called to serve. And he uses himself as an example. He says, I, Paul... And apostles. Anybody know what the word apostle means? It means one who is sent. This is not a title to play with. Okay? Paul gave up everything to take that title, apostle, uh, which I don't know that he threw that around except making a statement that I have been sent. It's not a power statement. It is I am sent. Because had Paul stayed in Jerusalem, remember he was a Pharisee. So Paul would have been... The elite of the elite. He was brilliant in the scriptures. So everybody would have come to him. Paul would have lived in the best house in Jerusalem. He would have been wealthy. He would have had the finest clothes, the finest food. Paul would have been a legend. We wouldn't know about him today. But in his lifetime, he would have lived the wonderful life. Instead, he's shipwrecked, he's freezing, he's in prisons, he's in dungeons, he's stoned. He's, he's, he goes through all of this suffering, and then ultimately he's going to be beheaded. That's what happens when you take a title like apostle. One who is sent. And Paul said, look, I had all of this, but now I have come to be a servant of Christ. And Jesus said it this way in Mark chapter 9, verse 35. He said, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and he said, anyone who wants to be first must be very last and the servant of all. Now, did Jesus have to be that specific? I mean, why can't I be third? I mean, I could be okay with that. How about eighth? Seventeenth? No, he said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, not only do you have to serve, but listen to me. You have to be the very last. Do you think the disciples wanted to hear that? No more than we want to hear that. Do you know why Jesus said it to the twelve? Because they were sitting around having a conversation about which one of them was the greatest. <laughs> yeah. And Jesus goes, yeah, none of you. Yeah, that's his answer. All right. So, but he said, if you really want to be great, so you think about who we elevate sometimes in Christianity. And the truth is only one is to be elevated. And the rest of us are to be in a competition about who can be the best servant. Who's willing to be last? Kobe Bryant, great historic basketball player. He and his daughter died in a terrible helicopter crash a few years ago. But they asked Kobe Bryant why he was the greatest. And he said, here's the secret. I never got bored with the basics. Oh, thank you, Kobe. I don't think Kobe was a Christian, but his quote will work very well. What happens as Christians is we get bored. And you get bored if you don't do anything. But we are called to be faithful, to be here, to be in worship. We are called to serve other people. We are called to give. We are called to tithe. We are called. Those are all basics. Those are all the basics of Christianity. And people get bored when they just go to church. And I remember 31 years ago when I was ready to come here and I was scared to death. And one of my elders in Jacksonville sat me down and said, Joe, 
it wasn't real encouraging. He said, just what exactly do you think you're going to do? And he said it kind of like that. And I said, you know, I don't really know. I said, but here's my goal. I want to create a church that people want to come to, not one that they have to come to. And I think the key to that is when you and I all get involved. You say, hey, there's a place for me. There's a place for me to help in the children's area. There's a place for me to support a, a, a church in West Virginia. There's a place for me to go on a mission trip. There's a, there is a, a place for me to do something. Dwight L. Moody said, there will be no peace in anyone's soul until they're willing to obey the voice of God. Look, I don't know. If you're, if you're not saved yet, if you've not accepted Jesus Christ... Uh, there, in room three, we have people out there for counseling to pray with you, to answer, if whatever you might have. If you're online, you can hit the button. I've decided. But once you and I have Jesus, we become saved. He becomes the Lord of our life. That is, okay, the big word is called justification. You accept Jesus, you repent of your sins, you're baptized. The old, the old Jews buried The new you comes up. Justification means just as if you'd never sinned. Sanctification is a process for the rest of our lives. That we're trying to become more and more like Jesus. So the people in Corinth have been justified. But their sanctification is a long way off. And as we study this book, you're going to come to the conclusion, they didn't get anything right. Paul has to confront them about every aspect of their lives. And that's exactly right. But we're not just called to serve. We're also called to be the church. And he talks about that. That all who call on the name of the Lord. Everyone who calls Jesus Lord. God the Father and Jesus as Lord. We are called the church. The word in Greek is ekklesia. And it means. Are you ready? A called out group. It's not this building. It's not. A, this is a church building. It is a building in which the church meets. This is why I have no problem with you bringing in coffee, bringing a sub sandwich if you think I'm preaching too long. You know, if you have the, if you have the pizza guy come in and deliver while I'm preaching, that's a little disconcerting. But, but this building is, while it is dedicated to the purpose of God, it's just a building. It's just another building. You are the church. We are the church. And when you come in here at night, this building is weird when it's empty. Ah, but when you're here, oh my goodness, the energy, the passion, the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't live in the building, the Holy Spirit lives in you and me. And we are called to be the church. Well, what is the church? Well, the church feeds people, clothes people, plants churches. We take water to people. We visit people in prison. We visit people in hospitals. We care for our neighbors. We impact our culture. We live differently than the people in the world. We don't compromise. So all of these things are wrapped up in what it means for us to be the church. And in Romans 8.28, this is a passage you might know, and <clears throat> but we've got it so wrong. So and we know that all things God works to the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. Now, if you've ever had somebody say this to you, or maybe you've said it, um, I, I tried to find the right way because I, I don't want to come off violent. Uh, but sometimes people's tongues should be stapled to their mouth. <laughs> because all, all things don't work together for good. You know, 
Hey, your kid just died in a car wreck. Hey, you just lost a baby. Hey, cancer just took your spouse. Well, all things work together for good. No, that is not right. That's not what it says, and that is not the truth. It hurts. It's, it's painful. It's horrible. You missed the whole point of the verse. Where is God's blessing? Things work to good for those who are called according to God's purpose. Don't miss the calling. And called to do what? Fulfill his purpose. To be the church. So everything I've done in my past, there's some of those things haven't helped me at all. Some of them have been horrific. I caused them myself. Some things that have happened to me uh, while I've learned from them, they weren't good. But when I put God first and I'm doing his will, then somehow, All things do work together for good. So make sure you use scripture in the right way for the right thing. And uh, Patrick Mahomes, quarterback for the Chiefs, you can watch him this afternoon at 4.15, I believe. Um, I'm not not sure, but I, you know. Um, But Patrick made an interesting quote, and this was before the Taylor Swift saga started with Travis Kelsey. He said, our problem right now in Kansas City is that everybody's worried about how many Twitter followers they have and how, how many commercials they've shot and, you know, all, he goes through this whole list of things and he said the only thing people seem to not be worried about is playing football. And as a Chiefs fan, that is disconcerting to me, but that's not my concern. I read that quote and I thought, oh my goodness, he could not have spoken a truer statement to the church in America. Oh, we're busy. We're doing stuff, really. But none of it's winning souls, none of it's feeding people, none of it's in schools helping children. None of it is actually what Jesus called us to do. Churches are busy, like having potluck dinners and rearranging the flowers at the front of the church building and having meetings, but they're not being the church. Now, it's real easy for you to say, oh, let me tell you what my church does. Well, that's fine, but are you a part of that? See, it doesn't matter how big a part. We did 7,000 shoeboxes. Okay, did you do one? That's all that matters. You know, you can't say we unless you're part of it. It's not about, well, I was able to do 1,000 and somebody else could only do one. No, maybe one was a bigger sacrifice than 1,000. But you got to be a part of it if you want to use the word we. You can't just show up. Does that make sense? All right, that's that's the whole core. Now we move to the last part, and the last part is going to be the hardest. We are called not only to serve, not only to be the church, but we are called to be holy. That's where we started this idea of not compromising the word holy. And people hear that and they're like, "I'm out." Well, that's a good answer. It really is a good answer, except you don't understand the word. The word in Greek is hagios, and it means to be set apart. Now, as horrible and carnal as these Christians are in Corinth, Paul calls them hagios. Huh. How does he do that? Because when you and I accept Jesus Christ, Jesus now sees you, God the Father sees you through the blood of Jesus and not through your life. Therefore, you and I are not holy. We are declared to be holy. Does that make sense? However, the rest of our lives, we are meant to be working on becoming more like Jesus. 
That's that sanctification process. So how do I become a better servant, a better giver, a better friend, a better, uh, better with my mouth, better in my marriage, better with my sexual ethics? How do I improve on all that? That's my sanctification process. Peter says it this way. Peter said, but just as you who are called to be holy, be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Well, that's interesting. Who's the I? Have you ever seen that phrase, I am? Yeah, that would be God. And it's from Leviticus. He's quoting because he was a good boy growing up in the synagogue. Peter knows what Moses wrote. Moses said in Leviticus, uh, quoting God, be holy because I am holy. Well, I can't be perfect. Well, that is the long term goal. But remember, remember, I am not going to be holy. I have been declared holy because I accepted Jesus as my savior. That's some deep theology, but it's truth. So because I am, I'm motivated to be more like that. If you feel like I've got to work on being holy, not much chance you're going to get there. But when you know Jesus has already declared you so, because you've accepted him, it frees us up to say, you know what? I'm going to get better at this. I am going to work to become more like Jesus. So there is a perfection part to it, but we're never going to reach that pinnacle until we're in the presence of God. That's, that's, when, that's when we're going to get there. But our goal is that we are called to be holy. And what does the word mean? To be set apart. See, God is set apart when he says, I am holy. He's saying, I'm not like you. Now, we're not saying that to the world to say we're better than you. But we are saying, I'm called so I live a different life. I can't be a part of this. I can't do this. I still want to be with you because I love you and I care about you. But I will no longer do this, 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 and this. Or I will do this and this uh, because I have been called. Now, you've heard me say this many times. And this is only a Western problem. But in the West, people have an idea that somehow heaven's going to be a letdown. That I am so blessed and I've got so much and I've got houses and lands and cars. And we forget how quickly a tornado went through uh, Fort Lauderdale last night. Civil war happening all over the world. Things can be gone instantly. But whether they are or not, when you stand before Jesus, your neighborhood won't go with you. Your car won't go with you. Your designer clothes or purse won't go with you. It'll just be you, your soul, and Jesus. And so you can set all that aside for a minute. But we get this idea that, well, things are so good, how could they get any better? Well, let's take the opposite approach today. Let's finish with this. How horrible is hell? Why is it that I need Jesus? Because you, ta- you and I take so much for granted. So we're going to read five statements together. This is how we're going to finish. Of why you and I need Jesus. And why a life in eternity without Jesus is so horrible. So here it is. Just read this with me. There's no air in hell. Because God is the breath of life. There is no peace in hell. Because God is the prince of peace. There is no comfort in hell because God is the comforter. There is no love in hell because God is love. 
Hell is darkness because God is the light.